Well, I mean, it is risk and reward, right? Yeah. What you're trying to do is find opportunities that are going to pay off. If it wasn't in, if it wasn't gambling, it would be a guaranteed return, and there's no such thing. Everybody really. would do that. I would, exactly. I would for all. <laughs> Founders that ask questions, I always enjoy because that means they 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 have a, a desire to improve and yep. learn. Yeah. Uh, no product and delivery service. There's something about your business that is going to change as you grow, and it, and it should. Because if it doesn't, then you're kind of you're not growing. Welcome back, everybody, to the Founders Corner. In today's episode, I have a very special guest here with me. His name is Arden Che, and he is actually part of a uh, group out in Vancouver called Yale Town Partners. Um, and he actually has his own fund that invests in specifically. Uh, C to about pre-series A levels. And we actually brought him on to be able to talk to you guys about what investors are looking for, how to approach them, and what is most important when you're looking at a business, especially at an early stage. So let's all welcome uh, Arden. Arden, welcome. How are you? Hey, Seth. Um, great. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course. This, uh, beautiful uh, is it is it a is it a sunny Alberta day? I don't not know, it's a, not a chance. It's a cloud, and uh, we're getting all the smoke from BC right now. So, uh, you know, <laughs> as people say, Canada is on fire right now. <laughs> Canada is on fire, and so is the Alberta technology scene. Ah, there you go. <laughs> wow, we're gonna we're gonna start it off with a bang. I love it. I love it. So, Arden, why don't you give a little backstory about you and who you are, and how did you get where you are today? Wow. Okay. That's, uh, that's I know a, it's loaded. Short, but, uh, long story short. So Arden Shea, I am an investment manager with Yale Town Partners. We have a few different funds. And the one that I manage is called Accelerate Fund 3, which invests in early stage Alberta's, um, Alberta-based tech companies. Uh, so that's kind of like seed to, you know, just before Series A, there's revenue there. Right. Uh, there's some early product market fit. I have been a capital markets guy for pretty much most of my career over 20 years in finance and investment. So mm -hmm. I could be, you know, I'm what you would call an investment guy. I started off in uh, commercial real estate as an asset class, uh, wow. worked at pension fund level uh, institutionally, and then I went to public equities. And so, and just by sheer stroke of luck, I managed to get into early stage venture capital. Uh, and That is uh, sheer luck. Yeah, that is yeah. true. <laughs> it is really, I often say that, you know, getting this job and landing in this industry is like, jumping out of a helicopter at 20,000 feet and landing in this cup of coffee. It's Bang really on. not, it's not an easy industry to get into, but I love it. I've been with Yale Town for five years now. And uh, I think venture capital is probably my favorite asset class. And I'm lucky to have gotten to professionally manage a few different asset classes, but this has by far been my favorite. That's for sure. Awesome. And I could not agree with you more about like jumping off. I use the terminology jumping off of a cliff. So I think all founders and entrepreneurs, they're jumping off of a cliff and they have all the parts to build a plane. Um, hopefully you build it before you hit the ground. <laughs> Glide through. Yeah. Right? Hopefully you never hit the ground. <laughs> you have, hopefully you don't hit the ground, but uh, you got to build it as as you're falling, right? Absolutely. So, but the exciting thing is, like, you get, we get to work with and and be up close and personal with the with the uh, the founders, the entrepreneurs, absolutely. and you really feel like you have that impact, right? Um, I mean, public equities, unless you're a massive hedge fund, you're generally just reading annual reports and looking at the mm -hmm. news and you know looking at investment calls. You're not really close to the asset, and so no. I found that you know venture is far more impactful, and um, I get a lot more um, fulfillment, if you could say. Yeah, and especially at the stage you invest in, which is that C pre C pre Series A 
uh, level, you still have that connection with the founder and you're able to have those conversations with the founder that like most hedge funds don't even care to have those conversations, to be honest. And really, they're just placing bets, right? Um, I always say this about investment. I think it's like placing bets um, and you're just trying to uh, beat the house, right? And that's the reality of of investment because sometimes it is a gamble. Well, actually, would you say it's always a gamble and it's just you're just trying to make an educated guess as much as possible? (laughs) Well, I mean, it is risk and reward, right? What you're trying to do is find opportunities that are going to pay off. If it wasn't wasn't gambling, it would be a guaranteed return and there's no such thing. Everybody would do that. I would would throw all. (laughs) Right. And I think, you know, what separates uh, the gambling from the educated guess part of it is, you know, what's the research that you do? What is your investment thesis? What's your discipline, right? right? What's your process? Uh, And I think that is the difference between a professional, any manager and somebody who does it for fun or just kind of, you know, quote unquote, picking winners and favorites is that you actually have a methodology. You understand what you think. Um, it makes a, a company uh, valuable, what your drivers of value are. So right? it's interesting that you say that because I actually think a lot of uh, founders don't realize that investors do have thesis. Investors do have their, their who do they invest in? Why do they invest into it? And it's very, like a lot of times it's actually quite specific, no? Because you are dealing with LPs, LPs being limited partners, people who are putting the money for you to invest in it. So you as the fund manager, I don't think startups kind of see the fact that you also have someone you have to make happy. <laughs> you know, they kind of see you as, okay, well, look, I can make you happy. It's like, it's not about me. I'm actually trying to make these guys happy. <laughs> well, again, professional, like we have fiduciary duty. We are stewarding other people's money. And in this right. case, especially for, um, you know, institutional managers like Yaletown, our clients are pension funds, banks, insurance companies, right. uh, schools, right, uh, endowments. And so there's a whole other level of uh, analysis and reporting and rigor, which is different from, say, managing private capital. You get a lot of these early stage seed funds where the money just comes from high net worth individuals and family offices, but they don't necessarily have a strict uh, reporting requirement uh, and regulatory issues around them as, say, a pension fund. Right. So, uh, you know, that's that's certainly a difference. I mean, as an angel investor as well, I think this is also a confusion that happens. We talk about myth busting. Angel investors aren't always the same as venture investors. In Not, that, no, yeah. Individually, Completely different in my mind. For whatever reason you want, right? It could yeah. be like we went to the same school and your return requirements may be, you know, if you can double my money in the next 10 years, I'm happy. But for a fund manager, we have strict requirements and parameters that we have to to hit. And right. so it's not the same. I can't just, you know, look at somebody and go, hey, I think you're a winner. We're going to invest in you. I have to be yeah. able to back that up Yeah. Uh, in terms of how Because every decision is. has to have a, a reasoning behind it, right? You can't just you be like, business. I felt it. I felt it. Yeah. He was a great founder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I'm, I know how to identify and pick winners. Well, do you? I mean, yeah. it's really hard to go to a, an institutional investor uh, like a pension fund and say, well, you should invest with us because we're just really good at picking winners. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have a thesis, a track record, uh, helps. And I, but and I always that- find whoever says that, um, yes, they're probably picked a couple of great winners. It doesn't last. It's hard to, I mean, when you look, look back to the world of public equities, there's very few, uh, active managers that have consistently beat the market, uh, over time. 
um, you know, if you're lucky, you you have a good run. But like you said, there's no one that can do it over the long term. I mean, the best example we always talk about is Warren Buffett. But right. how many Warren Buffets are out there? Yeah. Right. For wow. everyone, Warren Buffett, there's hundreds of thousands of non Warren Buffets. And to be honest with you, he does not bet like he has. He pretty much when he bets, it's like he goes in and he's like he's kind of like more hands on than a lot of people yeah. realize. So yeah. he yeah. buys like low and he knows what things are worth and he's buying mature companies. He's not he's never investing in startups and things like that. Yeah. Being an investor at that early of a stage, what what are your feelings around board and advisories? Because a lot of the times you talk to founders and, and, and such, they feel the need that they always have to bring on a new investor. They always have to give a board seat or, and you know, I always tell them like board seats are scary. You got to be careful with board seats because it's, it's okay when it's just you and like maybe a couple of founders and, and whatever. But as this thing grows, the board seat becomes basically a rumble, right? It's a, it's a boxing match if, if, if you're not careful. What are your Absolutely. thoughts around that stuff? Um, I think it really, uh, I, you cannot ever overemphasize the importance of uh, a good governance, right? I mm -hmm. mean, good advisors and good directors will absolutely help a company grow uh, and bring a lot to the table that's required in terms of strategy and oversight and really keeping the CEO accountable because who else is the CEO accountable to? You that's know, right. founders aren't really used to being accountable to anybody. But I will also say that in the really early stages, having too formal a governance structure can slow you down. You know, I've right. seen startups where they've got a full board that has to go through all kinds of, it's hard to make quick decisions, which you have to do in the early stage. But I think the best companies I see know how to pull together some advisors in the beginning, which is, you know, you have two or three people that have expertise in area, in, in your, in your area, mm -hmm. uh, or have connections to capital or whatever it may be, but they bring something to the table for you. And that the, it's not necessarily like a formal meeting every month or quarter, yeah. But they it's have almost like a mentorship, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But it's important to then get used to being able to utilize those people, get into some sort of cadence, because by the time you get to your Series A, you should be establishing a board. And that Series A lead investor will want a director seat and should so because they've got a chunk of your equity now. Right. And they've put in a decent amount of money. But, um, you know, do you need to build a big, you know, and formal board at the beginning? Probably not. But you should be keeping an eye on that and thinking about it as you go through. A board is not right. meant to be there to slow you down or antagonistic. They're there to support you, provide some accountability so that you actually hit the goals mm -hmm. and open up doors for you in terms of investment or expertise and networks. And I love that you said advisory. What is to you as the investor? Um, mm -hmm. I come to you and say I have these three advisors. How seriously is that taken in comparison to board, uh, like a board members? Um, I typically go past just looking at who they have as a logo, if you will. Like yeah. it's just like having customer logos, and the questions are like, okay, well, how do you interact with them? What yeah. are they guiding you with? Uh, how often do you meet and talk? Um, that because I'll really be I'll be honest, I've seen a couple of pitch decks where they've dropped name, like it's name dropping, right? Yep. And yep. and I'm like, this guy is your advisory. Like, tell me more. He's like, he really they couldn't explain to me. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? It was like basically over coffee. They're like, hey, do you mind if I put you in my pitch deck? And they said yes. And yeah, in, in their they should be careful with that because yeah. then if you're just too many. But they're also building her their brand, right? Oh, I'm getting exposure. 
oh, I'm yep. part of this, I'm part of that, I'm yep. part of this, right? Um, but I think a key, a key question that I'll ask is just, you know, what's the most valuable thing this advisor did for you? What's the best piece of advice? What is, how, did the, how did they actually help you move the needle? Or is it somebody that just agreed to sign on and you haven't actually interacted with them yet, but they're going to interact with you in the future, which is, again, okay, but, you know, I want to know there's a plan versus, like yeah. you said, this is just a name we wanted to have on there, right? I so, love that. Yeah. That's a really good way to understand, like, is he real or is he just, like, a name drop? That's a good point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Okay, so like for example, you're in a situation that you're able to seek out investments. People are coming to you. Hey, Arden, I I have a startup. I'm looking at inve uh, getting invested. What are you as the investor looking for specifically? What is it that you're you know? I, I know every like you mentioned, everybody has their thesis and things like that. Let's go more general, right? Let's let's pretend like the business model is less of a case. What are you looking for in your pre-seed C or uh, yeah, pre-series A yeah. seed yeah. investments? I mean, I think for us, right, uh, our fund, like we come in, we don't come in before there's revenue generally. Like if it's a software company, if it's a not software, I mean, I should mention our fund is somewhat sector and industry agnostic. Okay. Um, but, you know, if it's not, then there's, you know, if it's like, say, uh, life sciences or, uh, you know, medical uh -huh. technology, we're looking for data, right? Milestones, regulatory hurdles, stuff like that. So but, but what we want to make sure that we understand is that is there some early proof of product market fit that you are selling something that there's a market for? Right. And then the next questions we try to answer, whether at that point or down the road is, OK, now can you sell this at a profit at scale? Right? right. That's really the ultimate thing we're trying to solve at where we come in. We, you don't, there's not a lot of financial history and there's not a lot of ratios you can run. There's not a lot of, and you know, things like margin are not going to be, they're all hopefully only going to get better. They're often, you don't yeah. have scale yet. So what does it mean? Well, we're looking for, uh, I mean, and everybody talks about all oh, we're looking, we're focused is on team. We want that, you know, what does yeah. that mean? Right. Everybody like, says uh, that. Everybody. Everybody. I even say it, to be honest, I, exactly. the way, let me, let me present how I think of it. And I would, I'm curious yeah. of what your thoughts are on it. Sure. My, my whole thesis behind team is you have to express to me as the investor, why you're the person who's going to take it to the next level, why you are going to be the one that actually executes versus a thousand other people that probably have had the same idea. That's yeah. my entire model of team. Like, how are you going to execute? Because execution is the hardest part about startups. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and, and that's fair. I, I don't know that any founders or all of them are always able to say, this is exactly why I'm the, you know. Yeah, uh, fair. They can have a belief or whatever. And I, it's important for them to understand their own value proposition. We look for clues in terms of like, what's your industry experience? How did you come about mm -hmm. this problem? What mm -hmm. does your team look like? Um, I will always prefer generally to invest in a technical founder over somebody who just has general business experience because uh, we can introduce non technical. Business, yeah. Right. Um, and so the team. But is I feel like I feel like non technical founders are a lot more charismatic, more sales. Yeah, well, and that's and they should be right. Yeah. I mean, because that's, you know, part of the value they bring. So what I'd like yeah. to see a team generally around the founders, right? Mm -hmm. So do you have a good combination of business and technical skills? If they're lacking in business skills, that's fine. We can introduce them to people. If they're lacking in technical skills, that's a different story. Because now it's like, well, what are you doing that's so special here? 
I think that's by the way, that's the whole model of Corridor is we partner with non-technical founders because we realize the gap of the technical side. So Absolutely. like literally yeah, we come in cool. with that business like, all right, yeah. we're going to come to you at the technical level of the business strategy. This product yeah. is not going to work. Here's why it's not going to work. And here's how we can make it work. Right. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because business is business at the end of the day. Business is business. And, yeah, exactly. and there's a lot more of those resources we can tap into. Yeah. Um, so I will say there's qualities we look for, right? So okay. uh, coachability is one. Definitely, you know, like um, some of the best founders in our portfolio are the ones that even while we were, for example, negotiating the terms on a deal, they weren't just, you know, adamant on, you know, this is how it's going to be and this is what they were able to ask questions and be curious. Actually, I think mm -hmm. curiosity is one of my favorite qualities is that the founder that asks questions. Well, why is it like this? What can you, you know, give, what do you need to see? Yeah. What, what? Why would we be a fit for your fund and vice versa? Founders that ask questions, I always enjoy because that means they 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 have a, a desire to improve and yeah. learn. And, and it's not just about the money. Absolutely, a lot Absolutely. of it, what a lot of what happens is, are you going to give me money? I don't care as long as you give me money, I'm good. We'll be partners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you got to select so the VCs just as much as the VC is selecting you. That should be oh, the best absolutely. case scenario. I mean, I've, you know, I'm always impressed when a founder asks me if, for example, can we talk to another one of your portfolio companies? Oh, right? wow. So Referencing like, you. Should, yeah, oh, you wow. should be. Okay. Right. Uh, you should think, be. But no one does that. <laughs> no one does that. But I, I actually really appreciate a founder who comes up and, and questions us on the value because it's a long term relationship. And you yeah. want to know that you're there for more than just the money. Right. Yeah. If, if, you know, if possible. Totally. I agree. With I think that. another another quality we look for uh, again, like, is it, the curiosity and the team at, at the basics. It's like we're trying to answer the question of: Do we believe this team can overcome challenges that come their way? I want to know how they work together, what they've worked on together before, uh, because the truth is, you know, anybody who's invested in early stage companies knows what you end up with down the road is not what you're starting out with. That product will pivot. That concept will change. <laughs> The amount Can of times we it? say that out loud on this podcast is actually insane. <laughs> it's it's I say this to every startup too. I'm like, look, what you're starting with, pivot. Just always remember you're gonna have to pivot. So have some cash flow for that yeah. pivot. But yeah. do you think the reason that happens is because they truly don't do the research? I find that it it is relative to the research. It's the ones that and I'll explain. Let me explain. Okay. okay, hear me out, hear me out. So what I realize is that it's the guy that comes to you and says, look, I have an idea. Here's what I'm thinking of building, right? And sure, it sounds like common sense. That makes sense. But they lack the aspect of coming and actually having those conversations with real customers. Mm -hmm. And what they end up doing is just building and then having the conversation. And then the the, the customers are sitting there going, yeah, no, actually, that's not much of a problem, but this is. And then they pivot. Yeah. Yeah. And where we come in, they've already got customers, right? Yes. And that Yeah, market fit. Here's, this is what I come back to, that the curiosity, right? And the willingness to be uh, asking questions and learning. Because even if you've got early product market fit, as you grow, as yeah. your customer profile changes, as you scale, you're going to have to make changes. Yeah. Uh, no product and delivery service. There's something about your business that is going to change as you grow. And it, sh it should, because if it doesn't, then you're kind of, you're not growing. You're at scale. Yeah. I mean, a good sign of growth is that things break, 
right? Yep. Uh, and as systems break, and they should. If they're not, you're not growing. And so the founder, I think that is most resilient, is the one that understands that and is ready for it and builds a team that can overcome those challenges and that's willing to kind of, you know, um, change with the times or the information, like you said, the research. Mm-hmm. So beyond the team, um, what we, I'm personally as a, you know, I think as investors, you know, the team, the technology and the market, right? And I think for, and every investor has their own emphasis on, you know, their own bias or whatever it is, their own thesis. The um, I'm a fan of big markets, you know, uh, no surprise coming from a public equity background. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to understand that there's a lot of potential because if you're going to, you know, build a big company, you need a big market. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean I want to see that you have, oh, this is a big TAM, this is a big whatever. What I'm truly trying to get at is, you know, who are you? Where could this go? Is there a big unknown? Which is also exciting because it means yeah. you may be creating a market. Um, I think it's easier to identify a small market than it is to identify a big market. Yeah. Right. So it's easier for an entrepreneur to say, I'm honing in on this market and it's, you know, it's kind of niche. And we can say like, okay, I don't think that that's going to be as, as um, uh, we'll say, a big of enough market for a venture backable market. But if you're kind of like, this is our first market. We think there's a bunch of other applications, but we're going to start here. We're not quite sure where it'll end up. Like yeah. that's exciting. That is right? exciting. Because a well, lot because of that's uh, that's also realistic. Uh, it is exactly. Is it is realistic because because uh, you need your niche in order to grow and yeah. to penetrate the market. Because frankly, if you're not niche, why are you making a product that's you know it's already out there? That that happens sometimes, and we always ask them, "What's the niche? What's the what's the penetrator?" Right. Yep. Um, once you get that niche, then you can expand out, then you can build outside of it. Then you also understand your customers significantly better. Um, I, I, it's kind of funny you're saying that because in Silicon Valley, if you go there, the bigger funds, they won't even talk to you unless you're, you're going for unicorn status. Like they don't care. They're just like, how are you going to get to unicorn status in six years? (laughs) And I think, you know, I mean, you know, we kind of talked about myth busting and I think, that is something I think a lot of entrepreneurs and even investors need to understand. You can't look the Silicon Valley or any no. other market, quite frankly, yes. as a this is how it's done. Investing dynamics are so local and regional, right? In mm-hmm. terms of invest uh, investors, entrepreneurs, the resources available, the markets they play in, that you really have to understand what's going on in your market. And you can't, you know, they do what they do in the Valley because they have the economics and the resources and the yes. talent to do so. Yeah. So to use those kinds of measures and then say, well, here in Alberta, like we should be doing that. That not is a uh, misapplication and understanding. Yeah. Right. And we um, all, we always, not going to be a billion. And we always say like uh, the talent just doesn't exist in Alberta. Uh, like actually in most cities, it's not even a, it's not even an Alberta issue is, yeah. you know, you got maybe a handful of cities that have the capability or have the talent for you to hire to take to that next level. Um, yep. Most cases, they, they that doesn't exist. Like in, in Alberta specifically, let's talk that, uh, is I think there's a lot of talent to be able to help you to get at least a Series A. Um, oh, yeah. But after that, you you have to look outside the, yeah, the, the province. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, something that I've, I, this is kind of my soapbox is, you know, when we focus on, startups we focus on start on on founders but when we focus on scale-ups and growth we need to focus on talent yes and one of the challenges and things that we need to do in this province is start connecting our growing companies to talent that's not available here locally 
So right. I, and also fostering and growing the talent here. Like there's not a lot of VP, you know, sales VPs here in Alberta that have experience in SaaS. For not example. a chance. Oh my like, God. It, right. Sales is one of the hardest things to hire for. Exactly. Um, especially for SaaS. Cause it's just, you, what do you, you can't grab someone from retail that it's a completely different ball game. Yeah. Uh, here in Calgary, oil and gas awful because yeah. the only way they know how to sell is uh partying and, and relationship building. Um, right. Like it's like, hook me up and I'll hook you up. Kind of a comp mindset. Uh, here and, in, and that in works Calgary. for certain industries, right? For and sure, it does. It, it does. It works great for oil and gas. That's what oil and gas is, but software. Yeah. No, you, I mean, you're not isolated to the city. You yeah. you have to sell anywhere in North America and you can't yeah. just get up and have that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, you know, we do need to turn a bit of a focus here as you're growing, you know, for all the startups listening, don't be afraid to start looking for talent uh, for outside. senior level management outside of this province. It's so much easy, like post COVID, it just made it so much easier to hire remotely. Yeah. Uh, and we should be taking advantage of that. You know, the whole idea we need to build up the Alberta advantage, if you will, you do that by hiring people that have experience that we don't have here and getting people here trained up with that experience so that when Correct. they eventually exit Correct. and, you know, companies exit, now they can come back. And that's how we build capacity. We're not there yet. Bang on. Right? Because I, I think the, uh, the biggest problem that Alberta has is they're trying to focus on bringing people here into the city where after COVID, that just doesn't make sense anymore. Like our VP of marketing, Vancouver, our, mm -hmm. our operations, it's in Mexico, right? Yep. Like yep. our operation person is in Mexico from Calgary. But yeah. we've tried to be like, hey, do you guys want to come back to a VP of marketing, cheaper living in Calgary? It's easier to live here. Everything is less expensive. Nope. They don't want to. They yeah. just simply yeah. don't want to move to Alberta, right? And and I think having that mindset of trying to move people here, I think you're bang on. Instead, help them hire, blow their uh, their their companies up so that the talent starts learning in Calgary. Yes, yes. I love yeah. that. That's a that's phenomenal. That's exactly what needs to happen. I love yep. that statement. And, and that's how we that's how we start really uh, growing the scale of our of our tech uh, innovation community here. Yeah, and I think yeah. one of the the biggest thing is is as a founder. I don't think they realize, um, you know, how do I say this where it's not like aggressive, but essentially, you know, <laughs> um, I don't know why they think that everybody cares about their hopes and dreams. And you mentioned that. And I love that statement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when we were talking, I, I was week, trying to be like very sensitive about it. You just can't. You know, right. I'll tell you the story. Okay. So the where that came from was I was, uh, I was on a panel here in Edmonton um, last year for Startup Week talking about investment and such with a bunch of students and young entrepreneurs. And at the end, one of the entrepreneurs or students, I'm not sure, but you know, a young guy, a young yeah, guy yeah, was yeah. After, goes, you've talked a lot about what you like to hear uh, uh, from uh, founders and such. What is something that you don't really care to hear about that you hear a lot of? And increasingly, <laughs> I just blurted out your hopes and dreams. And it, it got a, a laugh. And then I had to qualify this. And now look, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm some sort of uncaring prick. But what I'm saying is the number of, entrepreneurs we see who want a certain valuation or want to raise a certain amount of money or whatever, and they're not getting it. The market is telling them, no, we're not going to give you that much. And yeah. their response is, if you could only see what I see. And my response is, well, if you could only see what I see, I That's see the biggest. 
saying the same thing and that you have to yeah. understand that we need evidence. We need some yeah. sort of proof or something beyond your hopes and dreams because every founder has hopes and dreams and every founder should believe that they're going to be the big, you know, the category killer, the biggest in their whatever it is. But the fact is, we get you may be the best in this category. We get to invest across multiple categories and if somebody right. else is going to be the best in another sector and giving me better pricing, when you look at just the financial instrument part of it as you know as a as an investment i'm going to go with the better pricing right. and you know i have to invest in your sector in order to get yeah. that right yeah and so you know hopes and dreams are great don't get me wrong but we need evidence i love i you know it's it's kind of funny because you know you hear that a lot right where they feel they feel like they're they're losing a track they're losing everything and they're just like, I, I wish they could just see what I'm talking about. And they just never put themselves in the perspective of the VC, right? Um, you know, they'll call it, oh, they're such vultures or they'll, you know, uh, well, yeah, true, fair. They're they're all about the money, which is, which is what they're, like we just talked about at the beginning of this podcast. You guys yeah. have people to answer to. Yeah. Right. And like, they yeah. don't real like, there's a lot of factors that I feel like founders do not understand about the whole VC world and, and the investment world where you guys have someone you have to respond to, right? As to why you made that bet. And secondly, you guys see 10, 20 pitches a, a month or more, minimum or <laughs> more, right? Like if it depends on how big your fund is, but like you're seeing almost the same idea in just rinse and repeat model <laughs> over the yeah. year. Yeah, or even literally the, the same idea. I, and I, 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 I literally say this, by the way, because we do the workshops, we do, um, you know, boot camps. So I meet a lot of startups all over the U.S. and Canada. And every time I will tell you this, every time I go to a different city, I hear almost the same idea from a different founder. <laughs> almost. There's like universal truths out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, you know I mean, hence why execution are- is so key, I find. And entrepreneurs need to understand too, as an investor, as a good investor, I have a duty to my clients to make them a return. That's and right. so the first question every good investor, a real investor should be asking themselves is, can I make money on this? And if so, how much? That's yeah. number one. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because if you, if you, otherwise you're not in investing, you're in philanthropy, right? Because <laughs> if all your capital goes to zero, you can't do any more investing and you'll never raise another fund. Not right? a chance. At the end of the day, yeah. You have to make returns to keep this engine going and yeah. be able to support more. And so I have seen like, I mean, VC Twitter is definitely a place you can go to and get angry if you see all the conversations that go on. And it, I always find it interesting to hear opinions of like, we need to, you know, investors need to take more risk and invest in even more companies that could likely go to zero in order to. Start. I'm like, nah, I don't know. I, I don't know that that's, in, you know, a, an institutional investor's uh, place to take that kind of risk. Maybe it's government's place and maybe it's private individuals place to take yeah. more early stage bets on higher risk. Um, but, you know, I have a duty to my investors and they have a duty to their pension fund members, right, that's to right. be making a return. So yeah. let's not forget that we are in the business of money management. And yeah, that's, that's right. the reality. Yeah. Right? What is the typical return you guys are wanting to see? Because, okay, actually here, let's maybe this will help them with perspective. How Ooh. many deals out of 10 would you say go to zero on average for VCs? 
not okay, necessarily well, yours, but like, because yeah. you guys are making that calculation. You guys are yeah. making a calculation that oh, like, for sure. if I'm giving 10, I'm losing this many deals. Yeah. I mean, you know, and there are lots of literature out there on the internet, um, you know, about the VC model, right? The power yeah. law, oh, how yeah. on average you have to, you know, the, the average, uh, the, the rule of thumb is, you know, a third of your portfolio goes to zero, about a third of it might give you a two X and the rest of it kind of, you know, you'll get one or two companies that make the fund. And that's the average power law, mm -hmm. but that's also, let's remember that that's kind of based on, again, the Silicon Valley model and the, you know, right. a certain number of companies, there's different. Now, coming from a capital markets background, I understand there's different ways to build a portfolio, right? And so, for example, for us, because we don't see as many deals as someone in, in the Valley would, we know that we're going to have a smaller opportunity set. And that means for our fund and the size that it is, we kind of, you know, need to come in a little bit later where, the, where there's revenue and the risk has been has come down a bit. And what we aim for isn't necessarily the one company that's going to make the entire fund. Um, you know, we're expecting, you know, a couple of them will go to zero. A few of them will break even, but you know, if a third to, to, of the portfolio kind of brings back, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a 50x, right? It doesn't have to be whatever. If they can do a realistic return, um, and a what is that? What is a, a realistic, realistic return, return in in Canada? Like good startups. Okay, in here let's get Canada and then one in the states, and then that's going to lead me into the conversation about Canada okay. versus the oh, U.S. Absolutely. <laughs> When you look, when you when you look at at I mean sub five hundred million for sure is what Canadian exits are at right in venture yeah in sub five hundred yeah that's and right. that'll vary from fifty to you know two it depends on the industry right so we do that analysis in our um in in our due diligence we kind of look at in this sector this is where the exits are roughly like if you're in life sciences a billion plus for sure semiconductors absolutely yeah SaaS I mean, software, that's international yeah. Right, two hundred million to 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 to, to five hundred is kind of the range you're looking at for. If they staff. stay in Canada, or it, yeah, generally, if they yeah, stay they, in Canada, if they're headquartered in Canada and they stay here, right? And I'm talking about a private acquisition. That's so private. That's so annoying. But yeah, it, I it, agree with that. But I mean, that's you know, I mean, at the end of the day, that's it. it that's it's just reality. The market, yeah. Right, and that how, it comes to how fast you can grow your uh, your revenue, and, and there is. A school of thought historically that Canadian founders tend to exit too early. You know, yes, oh, always. Oh my God, it's so frustrating. So we were at this. I just want to tell this side story yeah. because that's so relevant. Um, I was in a room back in the day. Had my own startup. Um, I was in the room, and basically, this uh, this gentleman, um, Randy. Um, he's from uh, what's Valhalla uh group Randy Thompson. yeah yeah, yeah 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 that's right him and he was at the front presenting and i i really like randy randy is very honest and he'll hit it he'll he'll just say what he say it like it is and i love those kind of people that, that's the type yeah. of people i like to surround myself with and he said all right so how many of you today if i gave you guys a million dollars right now how many of you guys would walk away from your idea and I'm not kidding. I was at the front, right? I was I was that eager student. I'm just trying to learn and absorb. And I'm like, I, I kept my hand down. Me and my partner, we kept our hand down. And we're like, of course, that's stupid. Why would we ever give away the, the idea that fast? And he's like, exactly. This is what we have to deal with in Canada. And I'm like, what? And I look behind me. I 
I kid you not, I would say 95% of the classroom had their hands up. And I'm just like sitting there going, are you guys crazy? Why? You haven't even seen the opportunity of this thing. Yeah, it could go to zero, but it could also go to 20 million, 30 million. Like it's just the Canadian mindset is so conservative. It's so sick. I got my money. I'm out. I'm chilling. I'm good. I agree with that. I I don't know why that's such a, a weird mentality to me. There's a whole bunch of theories and ideas around that, that, you know, we don't have enough time to get into here, but I think it's important <laughs> to understand is, is that we have a different culture up here. Yeah. That's right. True. And when I'm investing in Canada, I have to understand that that's right. versus if I was investing in the Valley and seeing that kind of deal flow and looking at the growth rates and the opportunities available to those companies, I would be like, absolutely. I'll pay you a $20 million pre-money valuation because you'll likely Makes get an sense. exit that will make it worth my while. If yeah. you're in Canada, I'm no. I'm reducing that by a factor of like five yeah. Uh, yeah. easily, not 10. I so agree. context matters. Geography matters. Markets matter. Uh, investing is not a monolithic thing that you apply the same rule to every single market you're in. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's, yeah. uh, it, you know, and one of the other things is an American money money cycle is like three to four years for an American investor, whereas a Canadian investor is usually, uh, what is this, seven to nine? Yeah, seven to nine years. So you're like, yeah, an American will make 50 times twice before a Canadian makes 10 times once. Once, absolutely. And again, those are the dynamics that we're dealing with, right? I mean, for a company in Alberta to hit 10 million ARR, that is a huge accomplishment, right? Yes. Oh, Oh, yeah. For a U.S. company, if you haven't done that in the first two years that you've been around, you're probably not going to go very far, right? It's like, yeah. and that's an exaggeration, but getting the point, we look at things differently. I was I was in in uh, the Valley at Sasser last year, and uh, it really hit me how aggressively they think when I was watching a talk by the CEO of HashiCorp, uh, you know, public uh, SaaS company. He's talking about the different stages of growth and how you have to change your processes. And he said, you know, he put up a slide and he says like, well, up to about 10 million, you're still kind of working out your product market fit. At 30 million ARR, now you've got product market fit. And at about 100 million ARR, you're ready to scale. I was like, well, you drop a zero off of those and you've got the Canadian market. I'm like, at 30 million ARR, we're probably exiting here. Yeah, <laughs> 10 million. Oh my God, 10 million ARR. I'd be throwing yeah. my money at that company. <laughs> exactly. So it's a very different game in scale. Yeah. Um, and I think... Uh, well, know, and they're playing with bigger money, to be honest. Like that 10 million, your valuation is $250 million yeah. minimum. Right? And it's, like, it is a, it's, a, it's a denser customer market that they can reach yeah. faster than you could up here. That's right. And that's, you know, that's just, that's the reality of it, right? Yeah. Um, Arden, uh, you know, I, I we can talk all day. Let's be I'm realistic sure, yeah, here. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I love having these conversations with you because I think you put in a really good perspective for for the VC side because I think... I think that's the number one thing that's always missing with founders is they lack the understanding of who, whom they don't, they almost don't see them as human, right? They see them as like cash flow. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't raise the money, yeah. I will die. So, you know, yeah. I need you. And yeah. I love having these conversations with you guys, especially you, Arden, is that you're genuinely blunt about, look, I don't care about your hopes and dreams. I just simply want to know. How am I going to get my money out? Because I have people to answer to. And yeah. and I love that. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come in uh, on this podcast with us and That's talking awesome. uh, some real talk. So I really appreciate it. You got to come back, though, because I don't think we're done. I, I know no, uh, I know no. our time is coming up. You're a busy man. 
but uh you know i feel like we can have at least another podcast of 45 minutes easy <laughs> well i'll tell you this much how about this i'm going to throw a challenge for your listeners out there to ask you about some questions and we talked about myth busting oh um, i like let's that get some, let's get some input from your audience you know what are some myths that you would like us to talk about and what are some topics in dc that you want to bring up and then you and i are going to do a q a okay yeah i love that i, mean, I love that okay Audience, you heard it here, okay? Any questions you have that you want to post to Arden or myself, and we'll do it together. So anything about product, anything about startup, pre-seed, seed, whatever you want to know, post yeah. up the questions. I'll coordinate with Arden, and we'll do a Q&A just ad hoc. We'll make it super flexible, easy. Ad hoc, we'll, uh, we'll, do a, we'll do a Q&A together, and we'll answer your questions. I love that. I love that idea. All right. I mean, I, I would say your most interesting question, whoever comes, they, they should get a guest spot or at least get to film their film their Done. question. Uh, and we can do it either live or on video to hear them. But I mean, let's get your audience engaged. And let's make this valuable for them. I'm, you know, I'm always happy to help out and to jump in in their community uh, with uh, any sort of guidance. And I'm always willing to learn. I mean, I don't know everything. I'd love to hear perspectives from other investors uh, and other uh, other startups, because the one thing I've learned in this business is that um, the moment you stop learning is the moment someone else you're is dead. Learning. You're dead. Right? 100%. So, you can absolutely. never stop learning. Absolutely. I agree uh, with that. Awesome. Sure. All right, and maybe we can do it when you're in, you're in Calgary. When you come in, we'll do an in-person maybe. That'll yeah. be even more fun. Okay, perfect. We have That'll too many plans. Cool. Too many plans. <laughs> we'll make them happen. And re I really appreciate uh, getting, uh, you know, being asked to be on your show and uh, I can't wait to do it again. Awesome, Martin. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Just hold on one right. second while I say goodbye to everybody for listening in uh, and listening to Arden speak. As you know, he is experienced. He knows what he's talking about. And it was really nice getting his perspective of what the investors are. I know he's being humble and he's just nodding, but he, yeah, he knows more than most people do for sure. Um, until next time, if you like this episode, please share with anyone that you think could get some value out of this. Otherwise, like, subscribe. And until next time, Corridor out.